Hey, just a heads up. The episode you're about to listen to is about The Wolf House, directed by Joaquin Cosinha and Cristobal Leon, and written by Alejandra Moffett, Joaquin Cosinha, and Cristobal Leon. Our host ranked this movie as existentially disconcerting. If you'd like to learn more about the movie discussed this evening, please visit our website, progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm, for show notes and a transcript. After the spooky music, we'll talk more about the movie in full, so be forewarned, there will be spoilers. Now, let's get on with the show. Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight we're talking about the Chilean animated movie, which, unless you've seen this movie, is like nothing you've ever seen before. It's The Wolf House. I am your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, they're here to challenge the sexy werewolf, sexy vampire binary, my co-host Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Well, that sure was an artistic Nazi fairy tale. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. It's hard to establish exactly what this movie is, but helping us to do that tonight is the cinnamon roll of Cinnabites, our co-host, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? I've decided that as I am the cinnamon roll of Cinnabites, I would like you all to refer to me as Emto. That's a berserk joke. I'm really right. sorry. <laughs> Either a reference to the anime berserk or a joke that has gone berserk. It's hard to tell. Yes. Correct. Tell the difference. Before we jump into the full discussion of the movie, we're going to do a quick recap. And tonight that falls to Emily. Oh boy, Emily. Uh, good luck with this one. Uh, let's hear it, about this film. All right. Well, let me tell you, speaking of anime, my experience with anime has prepared me for this. That and my, my fine art education. Because this is an art film and it stars... Amalia Kasai and Rainer Krauss, who I believe we just hear their voice talents. Yep. Um, Rainer is the wolf and Amalia is the main character as well as most of the voice in the movie. Yes. So in order to properly recap this movie, we got to get this out of the way. Yes, this is an art film. The visuals are mostly made up of animated tableaus inside of a house that are constructed, reconstructed and deconstructed as we watch. There is narration, which has an alternating literal and symbolic relationship with the visuals. Lots of stuff is going on. That said, I'm providing some of my interpretation in with this recap to help us kind of make sense of it. If you disagree with my interpretation, please hit me up at Twitter. I am Megamoth on Twitter. You don't have to involve Jeremy and Ben in this one. I'll take full responsibility. Oh, and the narration switches between German and Spanish, but we have subtitles, so thank goodness for that. This movie begins with a movie and a meta intro of a faux eight millimeter propaganda film that explains that this German commune in Chile is not totally sus as fuck. And all those nasty rumors about it are definitely not true. Sure. Lots going on. We haven't even started the actual film yet. This film reel then introduces the actual story, an animated nightmare fuel tale about a young girl from the quote unquote community is a cult. And I will henceforth address it as thus named Maria, who was disobedient and ran away to avoid punishment. Maria runs into the woods and takes some pigs with her because the only thing she likes about the commune, excuse me, cult, are the animals. Apparently there's a wolf in the woods, so she runs inside a magical house for protection and decides to make it her own. She uses the magic of love and desperation to turn the pigs into humans. The magic of Christmas might also have something to do with it, not quite sure. 
She names them Anna and Pedro, and she teaches them how to eat at a table and speak and wear clothes and all that kind of stuff. Basically, she's trying to colonize pigs. Now is a good time to mention that Maria, like other members of her cult, is blonde and blue-eyed. Her newly transformed children are not. Uh, she tells Pedro a story about a dog that leaves a house and suffers consequences. Then there's a story that she tells to herself about offering little animals up to trees and getting fruit in return. This is important for later. Maria tries her best to make a proper happy family, but has doubts as the wolf, which is a metaphor, whispers from outside that she sucks at doing things by herself and she needs the wolf to survive. Maria's doubts culminate by accidentally, question mark, setting her children on fire, question mark. The kids survive, but are burned so badly that they have dark skin. I'm going to come right out and say this is also a metaphor. Also, one of them might be a giant head. That's all that seems to be left of, of him throughout. Don't you just hate it when you accidentally set your magical pig children on fire? And then they just come back as giant heads. Like I said, this is animated nightmare fuel. Um, it loves its process. It loves things just coming into existence as it needs them. Like meaning. So the fact that the kids aren't super white enough for Maria is a problem for her. So she smothers them with magical honey, which we presume is from the cult, and they become blonde and blue-eyed. I would say Aryan, but the whole nomenclature of that white supremacist bullshit is so convoluted, I'm not going to go there. Now, everything is great, but they don't have enough food, I guess, because she used all the honey. Maria wants to leave and get food, which is a fruit from a tree, apparently. <laughs> but the children won't let her, and they're worried that the wolf will get her. The children tie Maria to a bed to keep her from escaping, and she is terrified they will eat her, so she invites the wolf inside. Yes, the wolf is the racism all along. That's my interpretation. The children become trees, and Maria returns to the cult after succumbing to her fear of failure to meet fundamentally racist home and family standards. She goes on to be a missionary for the cult. The end. And yes, cult, you have certainly sorted out the truth about those nasty rumors. Yeah, some real big, uh, remind me of that Twitter meme, my not involved in human trafficking t-shirt has people asking a lot of questions already answered by my shirt energy. Exactly. <laughs> so to provide some historical context, our creepy Nazi cult in this movie and the wolf is all based off of uh, Colonia Dignidad, a German-speaking colony that really did exist in Chile for about like 40 or 50 years was a big supporter of the Pinochet dictatorship did a lot, lot, lot of atrocities and was founded and led by a former Nazi named Paul Schaefer, who later died in prison in 2010. Isn't Paul Schaefer? Not the same Paul Schaefer, yes. Presumably yeah, different. Not the, not the <laughs> David Letterman Paul Schaefer. Band leader Paul Schaefer. <laughs> Look, I'm just saying it's a different Paul Schaefer. It's not great when the first sentence is of your Wikipedia page is Nazi, comma, child rapist, comma, minister and founder and leader and sect. Like, that's not a great sentence to start. Like, you don't want that being the opener of the, epi of the obituary. Yeah, I mean. Not to some, sound sus, but. Some people get really proud of their their slashies, you know, those, those different hyphenates that you can get in there and various different things you, you accomplish and and your life that's a rough it's a rough set right there imagine opening with nazi and be like buckle in it's gonna get worse from here is that a triple threat like an actual real threat <laughs> it's it's an actual triple threat yeah it's triply threatening 
He will he apparently he can have be. a beautiful singing voice, but they buried that in like paragraph nine of the Wikipedia page. No, no, that's not that's not true. Don't look that up. Okay. Don't look up whether the Nazi child rapist could sing well. Well, that's actually like I was actually curious about that because I'm like they're singing did come into the story of this no he mainly just ran with a fascist state within a state by doing whatever atrocities pinochet's government asked of him or that he just wanted to do on his own i mean that is our historical context yeah i feel like we should address the context that the film puts it in which is like they do start and end with something that's almost like a documentary infomercial kind of thing with live action you know it seems like a portrayal of a little commune cult thing and it's set up with like them giving this discussion of it like it's propaganda like you know oh we're not they're not really bad there's been a lot of rumors about us and you know here's a a video of of us that proves how okay we are and the video is about this woman like fleeing the commune and trying to live on her own and discovering that she like can't handle raising these pig children by herself and having to invite the wolf slash cult back in to save her um yeah it's definitely like handled from the perspective of the directors is really like yes these are bad racist people this is not really the message we want you to take from this but this is a propaganda piece from within this fictional cult about this stuff, which is a heady for a 70-minute film. Yes. When you really pull back on the plot and the framing device and what it is, this movie really actually has the structure and plot of one of those bizarre infomercials. Like, has this ever happened to you? Oh, no! My magically turned human pig children are going to eat me! Well, call 1-800-NAZI-CULT. That's 1-800-NAZI-CULT. Just in case you can't remember. Well, there are to read on Wikipedia. And now my pig children have been turned to trees. Thanks, 1-800-NAZI-CULT. You know, it's not often that I can favorably compare the plot of a movie to M. Night Shyamalan's The Village. (laughs) I mean, but there's okay. So this is one of the reasons that I like being an illustrator and a comic artist rather than being a fine artist is because with fine art, yeah, you can go hog wild, but with something like this where it gets so, as Jeremy put it, heady, which I think is perfect because that's the part of you that will be hurting after this film. If the message is couched in so many contexts that it's like hard to access, you know, there's a message there and it's very like symbolically and visually present, but there's no like, and that's why you never blah. Like it's from the perspective. Always leave a note. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, you really know when you said this is an art film. I mean, my partner, who, again, went to art school and whatnot and all that artsy grad school stuff, you know, they she looked at me watching it and her first thing was, this looks like the kind of thing my teachers always wanted us to make in art school. I mean, this is a plus project. Don't keep it wrong. This is a stunning artistic achievement that is the result of 
unfathomable amount of dedication and labor. It Five is haunting. Yeah. It is beautiful. It's kind of a fucking slog. Five years to make 70 minutes. And I mean, I think I think there's so much artistic merit and art and hard work here that like this is all done in one shot. It took five years to make like it's part of the director's mission that there is not a single black frame in this. It never cuts away. It never stops the whole time. And that everything is sort of like transformed and and being built on the fly inside of this. The directors had 10 rules on how to animate this, uh, which I think it's worth going over. One, this is a painting on camera. Two, there are no dolls. Three, everything can be transformed as a sculpture. Four, it never goes to black. There is no black frame. Five, the film is a one-shot sequence. Six, the movie tries to be normal. Uh, Seven, the color is symbolic. Eight, the camera is never in the same position in two consecutive frames. Nine, Maria is beautiful. Ten, it is a workshop, not a set. I'm sorry. One of the rules was Maria is beautiful. Maria is beautiful. I'm sorry. I, my, this movie has some explaining to do to my ah. paper mache nightmares. <laughs> the paper mache people were horrifying messes. Well, the the people are like they're all sculpted out of foam and tape. Like it's all foam and like layers and layers and layers of uh, masking tape. When they are not animated paintings on the three dimensional surfaces of walls. The figures are the tape and the foam that's been painted. And then sometimes they have wigs. Like, that's it. And yes, color is symbolic. But I mean, like, yeah, it's a it's a painting. Yeah, of course, color is going to be symbolic for something like this. Every single frame, you can see the amount of decision making that's going. You know, everything is deliberate here. The same way that with animation, you know, everything has to be deliberate. And this is... I think the reason that this movie feels like a slog is because there's so much happening visually all the time. Pictures are changing into different things and items are coalescing to become a single mass and all this kind of shit. It feels like the kind of thing that you see playing on a wall at an art show that I'm half watching while drinking wine and pretending like I know about art. I mean, it reminded me a lot of the William Kentridge work that was animated, like charcoal drawings and stuff, where you could see like the shadows of the previous drawings and the kind of process there. I mean, like I I mostly have seen William Kentridge stuff in art galleries, and it is very, it's not like a narrative, like a, a, a regular narrative structure. Let me just put it that way. This movie is really good at setting a very specific tone a vibe creating an atmosphere that I think is only really broken in one moment of the film. And it's when she like the pigs have turned into human kids and she's dressing them in clothes. And Pedro is dressed in what is very clearly a Denver Broncos jersey. Oh, yeah. The magic Broncos jersey. (laughs) Why was it a Denver Broncos jersey? I was totally expecting, Ben, you specifically, to comment on the fact that at one point their dresser has Pokemon stickers on it. Oh, yeah. There's a Cars poster and Pokemon stickers and like Dragon Oh, shit. I missed the Pokemon, but I fucking nailed the Denver Broncos jersey. 
Yeah, well, the the Denver Broncos jersey was interesting because it was also like at the very beginning of the movie when she shows up in the house, sort of. Yeah, fucking score bunny made it into this movie, so. Yeah, which is, which was weird for me. Like, I almost didn't even. How did I miss that shit? Because you're not like registering things as actual things. Like, it's one of those, like Pokemon, it's like looking at letters and losing the idea of them as meaningful as a word like you're just seeing like that's a weird line you know like shapes and and objects are starting to lose meaning because so much shit is going on it's crazy everything lost meaning things just like (laughs) like this movie one of this movie's favorite visual things is it's almost like this is a world without object permanence and things only come into existence as Maria needs them to exist or sees them exist. So this movie is constantly giving you starting out with like empty rooms or things like or bodies that then gradually come into existence as the scene moves and shifts. It's extremely dreamlike. And it also all takes place inside this one room or or inside this one house over the course of this story like it begins and ends with her like getting to the house and leaving the house yeah i this is this was a real test for me because being somebody who is a creator who, who makes stuff and often like deals with with critiques i often find myself telling people who are, are criticizing things like look some things are good and bad, but it's okay to admit that a thing is just not for you. And that was 100% my feeling about this movie. As I watched it, and I was like, that took a lot of work. It's really well made. There's a lot there. I will not be revisiting this movie. I do not like this movie. It is not for me. I'm going to skip ahead to the do you recommend this? I'm going to say I recommend <laughs> any particular. 15 minutes of this movie and then one because I feel like 15 minutes is enough to take in the vibe see all the different techniques and tricks and transitions and ways this movie does things take in the full take in the artistry appreciate the work and the craft and the talent and beauty that went into it and then you're pretty much good I don't think you need the other like hour of it I think you can check out after like 15 minutes Any particular 15 minutes, like do the end, beginning, middle, just enough to give you the vibe and just be like, damn, there's some art. But also look at TV tropes or whatever, because I think the story is important, but it also is like such a like a nesting doll of a of a perspective that you really need to make sure that you identify what specifically is being said that is not, you know, a celebration of this cult, but rather just how fucked up cult mentality can be and how inside your head it gets when people are trying to free themselves from this kind of toxic lifestyle. I don't care what you say. There's nothing, there's nothing sus about declaring yourself an angel who embodies love and protection. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Like totally a super healthy thing to say. I took notes furiously and then I forgot all of them once I did the recap. So let me open that back up. Yeah, this this movie is fine art, baby. But and, you know, the idea of every scene as like a transient, like it builds to a full tableau and then breaks back down and becomes a different tableau. You know, it's basically like you're watching someone build 
an art piece and then break it down and then build it up and break it down. Again, the amount of work that needed to go into the simplest of moments in this movie is mind boggling. A moment I particularly liked is when the pigs turn into people because the way it's done just makes it look like an Animorphs cover. (laughs) Well, they start with like, they get hands and feet instead of hooves and then they start walking around. Oh, I did not like when the pig suddenly grew hands. I did not like that one bit. You know how when you try and explain Animorphs, it sounds like the creepiest, weirdest fucking thing ever? Yeah. This is that. This is what people think Animorphs is when you try to explain it to them. This is Animorphs. Yeah. The underlying racism of the pig stuff and the honey and color stuff and the fact that the kids turn into crazed cannibals uh, and, and attempt to eat her. It's a lot. And I don't like it. <laughs> yeah. The the fact that they be, they were pigs and then they became children that are not Aryan or, you know, not considered Aryan or not that don't speak English. And she's yeah. very upset about that. And then she becomes a missionary at the end where she's like, well, I couldn't do it by myself. So I need the help, the cult's help in order to, you know, create this ideal. I need the guiding hand of a strong paternal authority. Yeah, which I thought was it was clever because the only image of a wolf. I mean, we get the TV wolf, but then we also get the German shepherd, which I'm like, oh, well, that's pretty on the nose. The one thing that's really clever and got me from like a story point of view of this thing is, is you know, she runs away from the cult and the wolf is chasing her. And it turns out at the end that the wolf is the cult, like the wolf is, yeah, you know, that has been waiting outside, keeping her from being able to go out and, you know, eat and be self-sufficient and live this life is the cult. It's just out there waiting for her to invite it back in. And yeah, that that was the bit that I was like, oh, chilling. Did it really take the 70... 70- 71 minutes to get there yeah i mean Um, i can never figure out what i was supposed to be taking literally or not like her house is burned down but it's not i mean everything i mean everything's just so ethereal it's a beautiful like it's a hauntingly ethereal movie that also kind of meant maybe i'm just a dumb dumb but i'm like i don't know what the fuck's going on i'm just along for whatever the fuck you tell me is whatever the fuck things are shifting into now well, a lot of scenes on the toilet. Where they, we spent a lot of this movie on toilets. Surprising, <laughs> surprising amount of toilets in this movie. There's a lot of like, a lot of the building and unbuilding of, of things in this movie, and the the painting in real time and stuff is part of what makes it, it difficult to watch and keep up with because the bits of story are really kind of sprinkled in process. Like this is um, a movie that's in love with the process. I feel like its primary goal was showing you this beautiful amazing painstaking art process and telling a story with plot and character arcs and themes was secondary to the process like this is a real example of the medium is the message and i get the real feeling that the makers would not argue that point with you that like the art is the thing and the plot is secondary and the art is stunning the art is a towering achievement that's one of the strengths of having like a very very simple message yeah like i think it it kind of bit off more than it can chew in terms of the message because like i said we have this like story that is told by maria about herself unless it's by the wolf about maria but she goes between spanish and german generally when the wolf is speaking 
it's in German, but it'll flip. There's no like visual point. It's all tonal in terms of the storytelling. Also, earlier, did I say that Maria was upset because they kids weren't speaking English? How yeah. fucking Amerisone centric of me. What a fucking asshole I am. She was upset they weren't speaking Spanish. I'm just such an I am or a German fucking Ameris. Yeah, or German. Like, what a complete Amerocentric piece of shit I am. I mean, I, I don't think you're that, but like I but that's a, I, mean, I, I need to point. I just need to call out my own mistake. No, totally. Because like, that's another thing about this movie that I think is important is that it is all about these racist ideals that people don't like these people just don't register are totally racist. And uh, the idea of the like colonizing missionaries who who go out on this pretense of helping people who are, quote unquote, less civilized. Ultimately, they think that they're just less human. So this metaphor of the pigs turning into people, like this German cult is trying to enlighten the people who they see as animals around them. And then they, they have this like huge superiority complex because they're doing that. I didn't know if it was going the direction of the cult wins or if this was meant to be like the fucked up German retelling of Grave of the Fireflies that blames the dying children. I mean, I'm not sure. Because you know that's what the German Grave of the Fireflies would be, would be like, the children brought their starving to death upon themselves. Oh, no. Now the idea yeah. of Hans Christian Andersen retelling Miyazaki films has really upset me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, As well it should. It's an upsetting thought. Then, then turning around and then, you know, hating the kids the way Hans Christian Andersen stories do. <laughs> is Totoro well, gonna eat some kids? He might. I don't know what to tell you. Totoro eats kids now. That's funny because Ponyo is based on the Little, Mer Little Mermaid, sort of. I mean, Hayao Miyazaki's like, I'm gonna have this uh, this idea, and then I'm gonna base a thing on it. And actually, it's about how humankind is horrible, but in sort of an oblique way. Um, I feel like the theme of most Miyazaki films can be summed up in that one line from Men in Black. Person can be smart. People are dumb. Yeah, I am really. It's always about a about good individual dealing with just a society as a whole who are just so bad. Yeah, it's a society and we live in it. Oof. But we're just about burnout. Yes. Don't tell me I'm going to continue talking about Miyazaki if we, do, you know, because that's something I feel confident about. Whereas this, is, <laughs> um, all I know. feel confident about is like, like you said, man, this would have gotten an A in like every art like oh yeah uh, fucking I, these I, people are getting like all the honorary mfas after this yeah I whatever mean, the fuck they <laughs> doesn't they matter we could get an mfa from... give them an honorary mfa it's as good as a real mfa they i'm sure they all have mfa fucking shots fired come at me mfas tell me brett. you didn't waste years of your life brett has an mfa come at you brett'll let me grab hey brett it's okay He's just teaching college with his MFA. What's he going to do? Help more people get MFAs so they can teach people how to get MFAs? Yes, that's what you do. Alicia, please edit out this wild anti-MFA rant I found myself on. Ben is dragging MFAs. I am. Oh. <laughs> it's, not, it's not sincere. <laughs> Don't worry, Brad's fine. He's just, he lives here. Anyway. The part where I really just kind of lost the re like the 
linear narrative was it the beginning <laughs> no i was i was keeping up because I, I was also taking notes furiously oh i was taking notes at the beginning i was like whoa that painting turned into a lady whoa that lady like melted and then like five minutes later i'm like oh this is gonna be the whole fucking movie like i'm not even i'm not gonna write this down every time this shit happens weirdly i think that this movie is best explained like house in gifts like <laughs> yeah this is definitely a gif a series of gifts but I, I definitely have a, a gif of the painting of a pig, you know, changing its its hooves to hands and then kicking around a ball. If you're uh, planning on taking shrooms and watching a movie, not this one. It's either a yeah, great plan no. or a terrible plan. I'm not sure what what you want to get out of your experience. You may you may tell you right out now, of it. Watch Tron Legacy, but you didn't hear it from me. I don't not speaking from any personal experience. Okay. I don't know if I want to. I mean, Daft Punk. Oh, Tron Legacy is wonderful. I know. It's I pretty. love that movie. It's very um, pretty. And Daft Punk is in it. Okay. Get just, yeah, before we end up with another digressively horrified. <laughs> like five of them. There's a point in the film after the fire. And maybe I wasn't paying enough attention because I was like kind of traumatized from the images of the kids like vomiting black tape from the fire and all this kind of stuff and then Miranda not just vomiting like crying like yeah just, eyes replaced with streams of black tape yeah there's very demonic yeah it was very it was very upsetting so it just became a giant head in a bed that's, yeah well she i don't goes know how much that's supposed to be literal i don't yeah <laughs> and then she goes to sleep and her colors melt off of her and i was like oh dissociation i know what that's like because that was like the most one of the most like literal images that represent dissociation to me i was like hey but then i'm like oh she's dreaming and then but then like the movie keeps going so i'm like is the rest of this a dream is the second half of the movie is, is that a dream did she die like that is the that is where the metaphor really breaks down for me i mean i know that there's so much density to it that it's kind of hard to keep up with like the metaphorical relationship of the the story to the images especially when it's like here's some get you know animation 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 here's a bird also just like she can manipulate reality at will sometimes or but not to make food just a her transmogrify life well and it's weird because there's like i mean i know the movie is trying to say stuff about subjective reality because the entire thing is subjective because it is her telling a story or the wolf terror. It's always like first person. Well, I mean, it's it's from the perspective of the character. So it's third person. On, I don't know what it is. I'm not the writer. I like the cool tape people. But like the fact that reality is changing subject to Maria's wishes, I think is also because she's trying to essentially colonize or, or you know, create this ideal. But, you know, she thinks she can do it better by herself, which is the message about the pride that she has and you know i think the movie's message pretty much is that her ideals were just so toxic that it wasn't manageable on her own because once she got out there and tried to do her own thing she really ha didn't have the frame of reference to accept things that she couldn't control which is why she was afraid that the children would eat her is there a case to say that at some level this is about like white saviorism and allyship and the fact that like this person who is coming from this cult, even though like 
they're leaving the cult, they still have these concepts and these uh just you know that the world of this cult built so much into their brain that they're not able to imagine a like a a better world they're just able to recreate the same thing that they're running away from and you know eventually we'll we'll go back to that when things don't turn out the way they want to yeah she just seeks to create her own little white people family that she can control yeah i mean in a way i think that the fire because the fire comes up when she starts really doubting herself. So, and it looks deliberate, right? She so wants, I feel like she's doing she, self sabotage. She wants children who are also as loyal, as subservient as pets. Yes. Which is not how things work when you become a parent slash magically transmogrify pigs and a creepy house into people and a family. Yeah. Oops, yeah. Mom always said, Look, when a mommy and a daddy love each other very much, they use haunted house Nazi magic to turn like a pig into a person and then give it honey to make it the race they want, I guess. That's why I'm never having kids. That's why I'm never eating honey. I love honey. Yeah, me too. I, I don't love honey get it too. from cultists. I, again, I mean, I don't know, what actually. Words I just, what words just came out of my mouth? Like, what yeah. string of absolute ludicrousness did I just say in trying to wrap my brain around this movie? Nazi honey bad. Nazi honey bad. Guys. Nazi honey bad sounds like the name of a World War II exploitation film. <laughs> uh, yeah, actually. How, how, terrible. how do you guys feel like this movie handles LGBTQ issues? I mean, there's so much shit going on in the background. I'm sure there's something in there, but I don't think it it is. There's nothing that is discernible. One point where they draw a window swastika first, and I still don't know what to make of that shit. Yeah, that's that's basically like, oh, they're Nazis, by the way. Like, I think that's just where they're like, yeah. As soon as the German people showed up in South America, I'm like, oh, no, Nazis. Oh, yeah. Well, totally. But like, I'm, I'm glad that they actually did the swastika window. This has nothing to do with LGBTQIA. <laughs> the only time I think glad... you think that sentence has ever been uttered before. I'm glad they actually did the swastika window. In this case, I just because I don't like this doesn't have to do with aye, LGBTQIA. Aye, aye. But yeah, the only time this is the only time that a swastika window is good. The only time you cut to German people in South America and something good happens is when the next like uh, action in the script is and then Magneto walks in <laughs> or like Hellboy comes in and destroys their and somebody murdering head. Nazis. Is, I started hearing German in my Chilean film. I knew it was time for me to buckle the fuck up. Oh, yeah. The second it was like, we're a German cult in Chile. <laughs> I looked at my buddies and we're like, so what you doing between 1933 and 1940? Yeah, like that that ties very much into what racial themes are here. It's very under the surface, understanding that this is a Nazi fairy tale and that, you know, the subtext is rough. Yeah. And, and the same, I think, goes for class. I mean, they're dealing with the, you know, pigs to some extent as a as the class. Boy, that's rough to say. Uh, yeah. There's a little animal. There's a little animal farm in here. Yeah, but it's not like with Animal Farm, the pigs became bougie, but that was their choice. You know, like this is something that labels that discusses that racism in a way that is like 
very, I mean, it's, in a way it's very honest, but it also is very uncomfortable because, you know, you're not sure, like, you're seeing this racism towards the people of Chile. If you were watching, this is going to be a weird comparison, but it's like if you were watching, this is Spinal Tap with absolutely no, like, context about rock and roll, you'd just be like, yeah. oh, like, they it, must it, mean this. And it's like, oh, no, no, that's a joke about rock and roll and about. That's exactly like, what this is. Yeah. This is Spinal Tap with no outside context about rock and roll. For also, us. I'm going to guess. Yeah, for us. Probably for us. Even that's a reflection on funny. us. The viewer. Yeah. No, I mean this isn't a this isn't a joke, but this is definitely reliant on a very specific context, and also this telescoping context that starts out with the movie being like a meta movie. Like this movie is a film that is a propaganda film that is part of this first propaganda film to do propaganda at you. Like that for me, kind of does the job, but it's still the, the stuff that goes on within the um the nightmare of Maria is still like it's hard it's so hard to follow at times that i'm you know i'm losing the clarity which for something that's about racism it's hard to see that in any sort of complex way other than like racism bad you know what i mean to some extent i feel like it's what if springtime for hitler were a weird fairy tale you know (laughs) it's like you're not supposed to you're not supposed to like what they're saying. You're supposed to understand that it's Nazi propaganda. But also, we don't maybe have the context for some of it to like sink in automatically without us going, oh, like Nazis ran away after World War II and hid in South America. And that's what this cold is supposed to be. Yeah. You know, there, there might be things even there that we're missing, but it, it also does have this feeling of like, a German Hans Christian Andersen type fairy tale where the moral that you're supposed to get is like, stay with the cult and, and uh, continue with our ideals. You can't do it by yourself. Yeah. Which is why I'm glad that they did the, the swastika window, because I think it, other than that, there wasn't the term Nazi in there anywhere, but I mean, unless like it's, it's a little bit of history. Yeah. would, would give you the context, but we're talking about something that in its native country, would be something that, from what I understand, would be beyond ubiquitous and well-known. Yeah. That this is a place that did a shitload of atrocities in your country for decades and whose leader only died in prison a decade, like about a decade ago. Uh, We may just be dumb, dumb Americans who don't know anything, but the audience absolutely has context for this movie that we sure don't. It certainly makes me want to know more about the context, which I think is an important point of the film. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's so many, so many of the messages here about class and race and and feminism, especially are sort of hidden under this veneer of the fairy tale and it being, you know, a, a bad Nazi fairy tale in its, its own way. But I think it's hard to, it's hard to quite qualify what those what those things are which i guess leads us to this question again we've already sort of answered it to some extent of like do we recommend people check this movie out is it worth seeing i would say yes as long as you know going fully knowledgeable that it is i mean i would look up the story first because you i think you really need like a read-along for this one to really really get the idea this is i think a companion piece to 
some research about the the filmmakers and the context of the movie. I think that it, you know, by itself, maybe not, but with some knowledge. Definitely it, certainly. do research because learning is power and knowledge is good. I know bold stance, knowledge good. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, bad. in this, um, I'm gonna say watch it at least enough to appreciate what they're doing and like the level of artistry and skill and work that went into this. And otherwise, I'd say check it out, appreciate the art, watch it until you get bored. Yeah, I mean the the art is really incredible and it's worth seeing what they're doing, even if it is at some points nightmarish in in execution. It's hard to recommend it for me just because there's a lot here and it's delivered so slowly and it's so difficult to just sit down and continue to pay attention to this. It's only 71 minutes long, but there are long silences and pauses over like weird art stuff going on. It's a long 71. The longest. Yeah. So it's hard for me to recommend from a standpoint of like, I won't be watching this movie again. <laughs> I, I did not enjoy it. It's not for me. But there is something like definitely worth seeing about it because it is like nothing else. Like I've, I've never seen anything else like this and I've seen a lot of weird horror movies. I mean, I've seen John Spankmeyer stuff, which is kind of like this. And then Mad God, which is a recent thing, which is a lot more like sci-fi crazy. But... You know, well, Jan Svankmeyer doesn't usually have commentary about racism like this one does. Yeah. Which I guess takes us to recommendations. I'm going to recommend being made by Studio Leica. You know, Paranorman, Kubo and the Two Strings, incredible stop motion films, absolute works of art, um, but definitely more traditional storytelling and filmmaking approach to it. But still gorgeous, gorgeous triumphs of art. Yeah, and then in their own way, much more um, narrative and, and much more watchable in that regard. Yeah, Coraline too, but I haven't seen that one yet because I assume we'll cover it at some point. Yes. Oh, yeah, we should. I love Coraline. It's great. It's weird. It's spooky. Emily, what did uh, what all did you have to recommend? Well, I mentioned John Spankmeyer. Just go into I, the one that I feel like would be most applicable in terms of recommendations to this is Alice which is Alice in Wonderland, but fucking crazy. Like Alice in Wonderland wasn't crazy, but like you, you had storms coming. Um, <laughs> and uh, if you want to see a movie that's about wor- being worried about your kids eating you, tying you to a bed, uh, that one, Good Night, Mommy, also German. And if you want to, you know, have a fun cult type experience, play Cult of the Lamb, which is a new game for many consoles yeah i haven't played cult of the lamb yet but it's been lighting up my timeline on twitter so i'm sure it's only a matter of time yes jeremy your recommendation drum roll uh so i've got two on the part of uh animation involving weird cardboard and objects and shit like that uh if you haven't seen dave made a maze which i think i've recommended on here before it is fantastic i think it's probably still on shutter as well as a lot of other stuff it's about a guy who's dealing with an incredible depression and starts making a maze in his house uh, while his girlfriend is on vacation and she comes home to find that he has been lost in this giant maze and a group of his friends go in to to try and find him and get him out of the uh 
giant cardboard maze, which has come to life and trapped him inside of it. If you want to talk about something that's about, it's about depression and about, you know, dealing with mental health. Boy, that's a good one. And on the other front of, of something that's a little more fairy tale like and does incredible things with animation, if you haven't seen Wolf Walkers, which is an Apple TV original animated movie, it's beautiful. It is done in a very like handmade style. It's uh, really incredible to watch and really uh, a really good animated film that's not in sort of the traditional Disney mold and, and production process. So I, I think it got overlooked by some people, but it did get nominated for for an oscar a few years back and it's really incredible that's a cartoon saloon yeah. baby so yeah. yes i do apologize listeners uh definitely a shorter episode this week but man this movie was short and weird and there wasn't a ton of plot to talk about it's just it's really artsy and weird and it's got super intense vibes and Again, a stunning artistic achievement, but not not the most concerned with storytelling. I mean, yeah. It, oh, yes, it has a lot to say. It's still, it's got a lot going on. I don't mean to not say it doesn't have stuff going on. Well, it has it's a lot going on. Nazis visually. <laughs> the story creepy itself, factor too. Yeah. yeah, big creepy, big creepy pig people and creepy Nazis who turn the pig people into trees. Why did they turn into trees? Because she offers the little animals to the trees to get fruit. Ah, it all comes full circle. Okay, I yeah. got that now. So, Thank you. So, so legit. In conclusion, racism bad. Dissociation can be rough. Leave the pigs alone. Leave the pigs alone. Let the pigs be pigs. Let people be people. You know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's a <laughs> that's a great place to wrap up. Uh, you can find all of us <laughs> online. Emily is. Is it? Is it a great place to wrap off? <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. You find Emily at Megamoth on Twitter and Mega underscore Moth on Instagram and at Megamoth.net. Ben is on Twitter at Ben the Con and on their website at BenConComics.com where you can pick up all their books, including Phoenix Rising and Renegade Rule. And finally, for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome 58 and my website at JeremyWhitley.com where you can check out everything I write. Emily, what's up? I just wanted to say that this movie was so weird that in order to cleanse my palate, I watched Berserk. The end. Ooh, good palate cleanser. Now, if you're looking for holding horror movies to standards you never agree to, this movie will offend you, or these movies will offend you in so many ways. I still love them, but... But Berserk, more than anything else, did not ask to be held to our standards, our political Justice standards. Justice for Casca, that's all I'm saying. Oh, isn't that the plot? Of, isn't that the plot, trying to get Justice for Casca? The story did her so dirty. Listen, anyway. <laughs> I'm like, right. isn't that Guts's goal? Yes. I don't know. I haven't read or watched it yet. I just know it's real, real good, but also mad fucked up. Mad fucked up. Uh, of course, guys, we would love to hear from you about this movie or whatever else. So find us on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod. Find us on our website at progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm or just, you know, apologize to us for having watched this and, and the lasting mental trauma it's done to us. Or, you know, we'll apologize to you if, if you find yourself watching this and uh, because you heard we were doing an episode about it. Uh, it's it's a lot. Speaking of that, you know, even if we've, we've given you some sort of trauma here, definitely give us five stars on our podcast. Give um, our trauma five stars. Thanks to all of you for listening. Thanks to Emily and Ben, as always, for, for being here. And uh, we will see you again next week. Oh, wait. Until then, stay horrified. 
Progressively Horrified is created by Jeremy Whitley and produced by Alicia Whitley. This episode featured the Horror Squad, Jeremy, Ben, and Emily. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and do not represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. And if you like this episode, give us five stars. Give us five stars for our drama. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter at ProgHorrorPod or email at ProgressivelyHorrified at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.